Right, I'm going to be reading this morning from uh, Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 22, and you can follow along on the screens or on your devices, or if you're old school like Barb Page, you could follow along in your Bibles. <laughs> Matthew 8, verses 1 to 22. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't go tell anyone, but show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a soldier came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralysed, suffering terribly. Jesus said, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought before him. And he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. When I was growing up and um, at school and even when I was at uni, it seemed to me that there was kind of like this big overarching storyline in our world that things were just going to get better and better. You know, when I was growing up, uh, the Cold War was ending, the hole in the ozone was, was shrinking, the economy was going forward and, and technology was inspiring. And so there seemed to be this kind of collective vision that through science and 
and progress, the future was incredibly bright. But it seems to me today that people just aren't so confident in that vision anymore. And maybe it's just me. Maybe I was young then and I'm, I'm getting old and, and jaded now or something. But I, I think it's more than that. It, it feels like our confidence in a vision for humanity that says things are just going to get brighter and brighter, it feels like that's been shaken. Do you remember that, that show Beyond 2000? Some of you probably don't because you were born beyond 2000. But if they made a show today, you know, imagine beyond 2050 or something, that show beyond 2000 was all about, you know, the advances that were coming for us and the, and the optimistic picture of the future. I reckon if there was a show beyond 2050, it wouldn't be so optimistic. Climate change has replaced the worry about the ozone Tension with China has replaced the Cold War. And then September 11, the global financial crisis, now the pandemic. They've all been sort of like clouds raining on this bright vision of the future. And even technology. You know, it's still amazing. It's still inspiring. But it doesn't feel like the saviour that we once thought it might be. In fact, it can sometimes feel a bit like a slave master some of the things that it's, it's brought us have also brought out the worst in humanity. And now we're being told that things like social media and, and things like our phones can actually be really terrible for our mental health. Now, it, it could be that I'm getting old and jaded. Maybe that's, maybe that's the case. But it, it just doesn't feel like we've got a shared vision anymore that has the narrative that the world is getting better and better. But at the same time, it's not like everyone's just completely given up on a vision for a bright future. It's more like we now don't agree on the vision. We don't agree on what the bright future should be and we don't agree on how we should get to that bright future. You know, we're seeing leaders and whole countries divided more than ever. And even within the different movements that you get, we see these great divisions like in America, and I don't know about you, but none of these visions inspire me or fill me with much confidence. Do you feel like that too? Do you feel a, a bit uneasy about the future? I think a lot of people deep down are feeling like this. And because of that, I've, I think there's a growing feeling that many people just want to give up on the idea of even having a shared vision for the future. It seems to cause fights and and more problems than it actually solves. And so, kind of in our world, it feels like everyone is saying, each to their own. But the problem is that doesn't really work either. Because there'll always be someone or something waiting to fill the void. Google, or Amazon, or Facebook are all waiting with a vision for the world. The next strong authoritarian type leader is waiting to step in with a vision for the world. To have no vision for the future, no vision for humanity is still a vision, it's just a very poor one. And it's part of the reason that we have so many of the problems that we see in our world. So today, as we launch this year, I want to remind you, I want to remind you or perhaps try and convince you that that there is a vision for this world that's worth having. 
Today, as we launch the year, we're, we're also starting this new series in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel, an eyewitness account of Jesus' life. And what we see today, and, and over all the weeks that we're going to be doing this, is Jesus' vision for humanity. Jesus has a vision for humanity that, that is completely different to every other vision. You know, it's not a vision that's about appealing to the masses. It's not a vision that's about exploiting people or controlling people for his own gain. It's not a vision that's conservative or progressive. Jesus has a vision for humanity that is built on him. It's a vision that involves calling out a new humanity, a new humanity out of the old. And actually, when you think about it, it might sound arrogant to us that Jesus' vision for humanity is for a new humanity built on him. And we've seen so many leaders who want to try and build kingdoms and empires based on their own egos and personalities. And so we're naturally very wary. But what we'll see with Jesus is that he's a king very different to all the other leaders in this world. He's a king with real authority, not an imagined self-attributed authority. And he's a king with real compassion, not self-interested motives. He's the kind of king we need with the kind of vision that humanity needs, unlike any other vision. That's what we're going to see across this series. That's what we see whenever we open any gospel in the Bible. And today and each week, we're going to get a bit more of a taste of what kind of king Jesus is and what kind of vision he has for us. So today, we're starting part of the way through Matthew's gospel. Over the years, we've kind of looked at chapters 1 to 7. And today, we're picking up in this series in chapter 8. And just before this chapter, Jesus has been on a mountain outlining an amazing vision for humanity, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's a vision where where his followers, if you remember it, his followers can call on God as father, can call themselves sons and daughters of God. It's a vision where we're called by God to be a, a city on a hill, light shining in a dark world. It's a vision where we're called to live lives like our father, forgiving even our enemies living genuine lives, not hypocritical lives, all while waiting for God's kingdom to fully come to this world, living for that day when his vision for this world is fully realized. That's the vision that Jesus powerfully has just laid down in words. And at the end of his teaching, we read in in chapter 7, verse 28, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught us one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Everyone listening is struck by the authority with which Jesus speaks. But now, as he comes down from the mountain where he's been speaking, the question is, does he really have this authority? Can he back it up, this authority that he speaks with? Or is he just another leader with more empty words? And we start to see the answer to this in what we just had read in chapter 8. Have a look at verse 1. Jesus has been speaking to the crowds, but now we get to see what kind of leader he is when he's approached by just one 
insignificant individual. We get to see what he's like when he's approached by, by the kind of person that actually nobody wants anywhere near them. Because a man with leprosy comes and he kneels down before Jesus and he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, this is pretty outrageous, actually. It's really clear in Scripture that because of his condition, this man, he would have been labelled unclean, which meant he's supposed to isolate himself from everyone else. He's not supposed to approach people. And we, we get that now. Could you imagine if... Um, Someone who definitely had COVID came knocking on your door. How would you react? I don't think I would be very impressed at all. But this leper, he's desperate. And more than that, he sees something in Jesus, something that makes him think this move is is worth risking. And here we get to see the kind of king Jesus is and the kind of vision he has for humanity. Because he does something absolutely astounding. Look, At verse 3, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Now, why does he do this? Why touch him? You see that Jesus often heals by touching people, but he doesn't have to. That's what we see in the very next incident after this that happens. The man doesn't ask Jesus to touch him, but Jesus does. And by touching him, the law that that Jesus and this man lived by made it absolutely clear that Jesus would be making himself unclean. But he touches him and he says, I am willing, be clean. And we read immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. This is a taste. It's a taste of Jesus and his vision for, for humanity. Jesus is not just grand words coming at us from a mountaintop. He is real authority and he is real compassion. He's willing to be made unclean in order to make this man become clean and be brought brought back into community. Notice the kind of king Jesus is, the kind of vision he has here. Jesus speaks to the crowds but he touches and completely changes the life of the individual. We'll see this time and time again through Matthew. Jesus has real authority, real compassion. He has has a grand vision for a cleansed and a restored humanity, but it's not a vision for masses of people who superficially interact with him. It's a vision where each person encounters him personally. Jesus, he continues on his journey, coming back down from the mountain, and he enters into Capernaum, which is kind of like his hometown where he's operating as his base. And he's met there by a centurion. That's a a soldier who has a 100 men underneath his command. Now, this guy, he would have belonged to Herod's army, and so he's part of the whole Roman structure and system of, of occupation and oppression. He's not Jewish. And he's not really someone that you might expect to be interested in Jesus. And maybe the flip side is true as well. He's not really someone that you'd expect Jesus to be interested in either. But he comes to Jesus asking for help for his servant. And he says, verse 7, Jesus says, verse 7, shall I come and heal him? Now, this might all sound normal enough to us, 
But what we might not realize is that for Jesus to enter the, the home of a non-Jewish person like this would not only make him unpopular, but again, it would make him unclean. And we, we don't really get this because we have a different kind of world, a different kind of thought system. But just to kind of capture the feeling that they would have felt, imagine again, you know, if I had visited someone who definitely had COVID and then I thought, oh, I'll duck around to your place and I'm knocking on the door, having a cup of tea with you. When I tell you, oh, yeah, I was just around at Coop's, he's, he's got COVID as well. I don't think you'd be um, very happy with me. I think that would be very unpopular. That's the kind of feeling that they would have felt about Jesus agreeing to go to this guy's home. But Jesus is the kind of king who's not led by what's popular. And his vision for humanity is not limited to those who are just like him. Even this soldier, not a Jew, an enemy really, even he could be called to be a part of what Jesus is doing in the world. And in fact, what this soldier does next shows that he could fit into the vision that Jesus has for this world more than those we might think naturally fit. He's a powerful man, but look at what he says in in verse 8. He says, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. This foreigner, he sees better than most the authority that Jesus has and the willingness that he has to help even someone like him. From what he's already seen of Jesus, who knows what he's seen, but from what he's already seen of Jesus, he also sees the implications. He sees that Jesus has got so much authority that of course he could heal his servant with just a word. And did you see what happens next? Look at verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. I love this. I love the idea of, of being able to amaze Jesus for a good reason. Wouldn't that be awesome? But when you stop and think about it, this is actually pretty tragic because it tells you something about human nature. Jesus is amazed because the natural state of humanity is actually not to have great faith. We like to think of ourselves as as sceptics. But actually, we're more like cynics. We're reluctant to see the truth or we're apathetic about the truth. We don't want to follow things through to see where the evidence points and especially not when it comes to God. You know, if Jesus is surprised by this guy's faith, then we shouldn't be surprised when we find others or even ourselves unwilling to see the truth, unwilling to go where the truth takes us. You see it all the time. Remember Paul Harrington Telling, um, telling me that he could see the evidence for Jesus' resurrection. He believed Jesus had been raised from the dead. And I said, so did you become a Christian at that point? No. Because even though he could see where the evidence took, took him, he didn't want to follow him. It wasn't until that point where he realized he was a sinner who desperately needed Jesus that he came to him. See, the norm is for us not to follow where the evidence points but to reject God. And this soldier is an outlier when it comes to faith. He sees what should be obvious to everyone. He sees that Jesus is someone of real, unimaginable authority and real 
far-reaching compassion. And notice again, don't miss here, notice again what kind of king Jesus is and what kind of vision he has for humanity. His vision is for a kingdom not built on race. He says to his followers, Truly I tell you, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west, from all around the world, and will take their place places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. This is a vision for a new humanity celebrating in a restored world at the end of time. And the people who will be there, they won't be there because they were born into a certain race or born into the right family. They'll be there because they see the truth about Jesus and so they build their lives on him. That's faith. And that's what Jesus wants from us. But the flip side is that Jesus' vision is not one where a privileged group are automatically a part of it. Look at what Jesus says in verse 12. But the subjects of the kingdom, the people that you'd expect to be a part, to want to be a part of what Jesus is doing, he says they will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those who should have known better, who've heard all their lives about about what God's vision is for the world, they're the ones in danger of turning their back on what was theirs because they presume they somehow deserve to be a part of that vision and they don't bother to build their lives on Jesus. Now, I reckon we of all people need to hear this, don't we? It's not our family or our religion or our race that makes us a part of Jesus' vision for humanity. What makes us a part of what Jesus is doing is is seeing who he is, seeing his authority and compassion, and so humbling ourselves like this soldier and building our lives fully on him. Have you ever done that? You know, if you haven't, it doesn't matter who your parents are. It doesn't matter what your church background is. You're not with Jesus. And tragically, when he comes back, you will find yourself on the outside. After healing the soldier's servant with a word, Jesus finally finishes this trip back from the mountain into Capernaum and he he goes into Peter's house, which has been kind of like his home base from there. And wherever Jesus seems to turn, he he encounters the brokenness of this world and so he comes inside and Peter's mother-in-law has got a fever. And of course, wherever Jesus encounters the brokenness of this world, he fixes it person by person, you know, whoever they are. And the the message gets out there so that we read in verse 16, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. And then Matthew tells us that we can understand what Jesus is doing and uh, as a fulfillment of what the prophet Isaiah said he would do 700 years earlier. In verse 17, Matthew writes, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. So everything that Jesus is doing here, it's a, a taste of the vision that he has for humanity. And it's a vision that's been planned for a long time that you can read all about in Isaiah. A vision where Jesus takes our uncleanness 
and bears our diseases and brings us healing and restoration. And when you read that bit of Isaiah, Isaiah 53, and and actually when you read the whole of the book of Isaiah, you see, like Coop said earlier, that the source of our uncleanness, the source of, of even physical disease ultimately is our rejection of God. And so the solution is ultimately Jesus dealing with that rejection by being the kind of the kind of leader who owns the consequences of our mistakes and our wrongs. Have a look at of, on how um, at how Isaiah goes on in chapter fifty three in the next verse. He says he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. That's the vision that Jesus is fulfilling. But it seems like the people back then are in danger of missing the point of what Jesus was doing. There's this kind of snowballing excitement as, as crowds and more people come along. But this kind of reaction, it's not necessarily them catching Jesus' vision. And so we read in verse 18, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. It's almost like the crowd isn't so much interested in Jesus' vision as they are in seeing him as a means to an end to their own vision. Now, sometimes we can be like this too. Instead of focusing on on Jesus' vision for humanity, we can see him as as a means to an end for what we want. I think we see the obvious example in this passage. Sometimes we read, he took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. And we can miss that this actually points to something much bigger than just our vision to be healed right now. You know, you hear this sometimes in the way that people pray. It's almost as if we're demanding that that God heal us now. It's very different to the, the leper who recognizes Jesus' authority but doesn't presume on his will. It's an easy mistake to make because Jesus' vision for humanity ultimately does include our complete physical healing. But Isaiah shows the blueprint. And it shows that healing comes by sin being dealt with at the cross. And Isaiah also shows that the healing comes when Jesus finally returns to rule this world in person. You know, these miracles that you see in in Matthew, they don't promise our healing now. They point to Jesus' authority. They point to his vision for what he will one day bring for us. He might choose to heal us now, but we won't see his vision fully unfolded till we see Jesus face to face when he returns. So Jesus' vision is much bigger than just us living our best lives now. Jesus' vision is a new humanity, living with him in a world restored for all eternity. But we can miss that. In fact, it's, it's extremely common for people to miss the importance of Jesus and his vision for, these, for his world, even when they think they're seeing it. Now, we see a couple of people at this point who think they get it. Matthew shows us two followers of Jesus. Look at the, uh, the first person. Jesus says to his disciples, it's time to leave the crowds and cross the lake. And in verse 19, we, write, we read, Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. 
Now that sounds like someone who's ready to catch Jesus' vision, doesn't it? That sounds like someone who's ready to build their entire life on Jesus. But Jesus says in verse 20, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus' point is that even though he's a king with unimaginable authority, he doesn't have a palace. He doesn't even have a home. And following him for this guy would literally mean the same thing. It would, it would mean being literally homeless. And you get the feeling that it's more than that this guy was willing to sign up for. And for us, the point's not necessarily literal, but Jesus' underlining challenge, underlying challenge, challenge here is exactly the same. Jesus is calling you to following him, not just while it's comfortable. He's calling you to be in it for the long haul. His vision is, is for a people who are willing to give up on comfort and ease now because they see what's eternal. They see his value and they see the value of living with him for all eternity. The challenge for you here is, are you ready to, to stick with Jesus, whatever the cost? Are you ready to stick with Jesus, whatever the cost, because you know he's worth it? That's what he's asking you. The next disciple, he seems to want to share Jesus' vision, but he also seems to want to have his own vision for, for what he needs to do as well, for what really matters in life. Now, remember, Jesus, he's there on the side of the lake. He's about to step into the boat. He's about to cross over the lake to continue his mission. So following him in that situation meant literally jumping into the boat. But we read in verse 21, another disciple, disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Now, surely that's fair enough. Surely Jesus can wait for that, can't he? But Jesus uses even this extreme situation to get across something that's extremely important. What comes first? Jesus' vision for humanity, his work, his mission, or this man's family obligations? Should Jesus just put his vision on hold for a few days while this man attends to more important things? Or should this man put everything on hold for the sake of jumping in that boat and going with Jesus. Now, how we answer that, of course, depends on what we think matters more than anything else. But Jesus answers him and says in verse 22, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. There is nothing more important than following him. Now, again, for us, the point is not necessarily literal but the underlying challenge is exactly the same. We cannot follow Jesus and put anything above him, even the most justifiable thing that we could imagine. Jesus won't accept. And the challenge for you here is, are you ready to keep Jesus and his vision first? Because that's what he's asking. Are you ready to keep him and his vision first? I was saying to um, one of you this week that I'm finding it hard to kind of plan out this year. Actually, I've probably complained to more than one of you if I think about it carefully. And, it, and in some ways, I'm finding it hard to be enthusiastic about the year, you know, because it feels like, you know, you can make these elaborate plans 
and then they all just come to nothing, whether it's travelling interstate or whether it's plans for carols or, or who knows what. And I keep finding myself actually wanting to just wait till COVID is all over and, um, and then get on with things. And the person I was speaking with was saying that um, he reckons that actually many of us feel this at the moment in lots of areas of life. Many of us are, are lacking a, a drive, a, a sense of clarity. Many of us are lacking a vision. But the thing that I need to keep remembering, and, and maybe you do too, is that Jesus has already given us the vision for life. Even when everything else is unclear, this is not unclear. He calls out a new humanity to know him and to live for him now and for all eternity in a world that he cleanses and that he'll one day fully restore. And this is a vision that we can absolutely live out even in uncertain times. We don't have to wait. We can't wait. We can't wait till COVID is over to live out this vision. We can get on with it now, living for Jesus, calling on others to live for Jesus, person by person. You know, his vision, it leaves every other competing vision for dead. His vision will never fail because Jesus is a king who actually has real authority and actually has real compassion. And we've seen just a taste of that today. In these next few weeks, we'll, we'll, we'll keep seeing that Jesus is that king we need with the vision we need, a vision for humanity unlike any other vision. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for who Jesus is, a king of unimaginable authority and glory, and yet one who comes to us person by person and changes our lives as he touches our lives. Father, we ask that you would keep touching our lives, that Jesus would keep being at work in each one of us, and collectively, that we really would be a city on a hill, light shining in what can be a very dark world. Lord, this year as we many, in many ways are lacking a sense of certainty, help us to be reminded again of the certainty that we have in following Jesus, that his vision will never fail, that what he is doing in the world will never fail, that the kingdom that he is establishing is worth living for, is never threatened, that we can be a part of it, and that we can call others to be a part of it too, person by person. Lord, help us to get on with this vision, joyfully, confidently, following Jesus our Lord. And we pray in his name. Amen.